Hello and welcome to the sequel cast. The sequel cast is a show that talks about movies in a franchise one movie at a time. We're in the middle of looking at the Back to the Future trilogy with uh, the second in the series, Back to the Future Part 2, also might be known as Back to the Future 2. It's directed by uh, Bob Zemeckis, like the original, and uh, written by Bob Gale, a story by Bob Zemeckis and Bob Gale, starring uh, Michael J. Fox, Christopher Lloyd, Thomas F. Wilson, Leah Thompson, and Elizabeth Shue uh, instead of Jennifer Grey. Uh, With me is Thrasher. Howdy. And we also have a special guest, uh, Oliver, from uh, DeLorean Time Machine Services. Welcome to the sequel cast. Hey, thank you very much, man. Uh, I think before we talk about Back to the Future 2, I want to talk to you a bit about um, how do you best describe DeLorean Time Machine Services? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, we're <laughs> actually a part of uh, the, the, our parent website, bttf.com. Uh, the letters, of course, stand for Back to the Future. Um, and it's the, uh, the, the main... Uh, official website uh, of the trilogy, uh, officially sanctioned by Bob Gale himself and Robert Zemeckis and Steven Spielberg with Amblin. And we're kind of like the uh, the real-world representative of the website. Uh, the website handles all the news and uh, information, updates on the cast and crew and things that are going on. And uh, we kind of represent the website in the real world by traveling uh, around the United States and other countries in our DeLorean time machine. So your DeLorean time machine, uh, I imagine you had to build it, you had to do modifications to make it look like the uh, time machine from the Back to the Future films. Right. Absolutely. It was a lot of fun. It was a, a kind of a project uh, of uh, passion, uh, our passion for the movies. And uh, uh, we started, I guess we purchased a DeLorean in uh, 2001, and it took us a better part of a year to... Uh, hammer out most of the, the time machine modifications, but we've been working on it for 10 years now, mm. and we've covered uh, most of North America, well, uh, 44 of the 50 states we've uh, driven the car to, and uh, just recently returned from Montreal up in Canada, and uh, last month in Argentina, uh, Buenos Aires. Oh, nice. And for Argentina, that was for the uh, commercial with uh, Garbarino? That's, that's correct, with Christopher Lloyd. A big marketing campaign, yep. and uh, uh, if you've seen some of the wonderful things that came out of that, uh, it was a lot of fun to work on, but it is a, a continuing campaign. You're going to see some more in the future, uh, especially around uh, 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 Argentina's uh, Mother's Day season and uh, Christmas. <laughs> oh, great. Um, you know, it's amazing with Christopher Lloyd, even though it's certainly been uh, several years since the Back to the Future films, 
you see him with the makeup, and with all the makeup and the costume, it looks like he hasn't even aged that much. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 he's uh, kind of grown into his character, I guess, and he uh, <laughs> approaches it with uh, the same vigor and, and joy as he did uh, back in the 80s. Well, I thought he went to a, a rejuvenation clinic, had a change of hair and a change of blood. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> in the future, you could do that. It's, it's easy. Now, uh, do th- besides uh, having a, a DeLorean, d- do they have such things as DeLorean conventions in the United States? They do. Uh, as okay. a matter of fact, uh, there's one called the DeLorean uh, Car Show, the DCS, and it happens every two years uh, around Father's Day, and it's put on by a gentleman named Ken Konsalik. Uh He kind of... Uh, runs the show, and uh, it's a lot of fun. It's DeLorean owners from all over the place, and, and really uh, all over the world converge, generally in the eastern portion of the United States. Next year it'll be in Orlando, Florida, for the 2012 uh, gathering. And it's just people from all over, and, and all different kinds of people, too. That's the funny thing about DeLorean owners. Um, the rich, poor, uh, just all kinds of, of people. Um, different personalities, different backgrounds and interests. Uh, but the common thread is, is their love of uh, John DeLorean's dream that he brought to life. Where were you when you first saw Back to the Future 2? I was a, a high school senior in a little town called Marion, North Carolina. And I went to see the uh, the movies in a neighboring town because they were you know playing it at the big big theater. And uh, it was the first movie I'd ever seen that I went back to see again. You know, I, I paid my, <laughs> my hard-earned uh, uh, money, and I uh, went to see it again with more friends. And I took more friends and went to see it again a third time. And it was just uh, one of those uh, turning points in my life where I'm a, a high school senior, uh, and uh, it, it made such a huge impression on me, and, and it's kind of followed me for the rest of my life. Yeah, um, you know, for myself, I'm I'm a bit younger. I, I saw Back to the Future for the first time, or Back to the Future Part Two, on videotape, and uh, I think I was I was in third grade or so at the time, and uh, my friend was having a pizza party, and he, they decided we all make our own little pizzas and uh, watch Back to the Future Two, and um, nice. and I was really taken aback uh, being a little kid watching Back to the Future Two and at, at how weird and dark and disturbing and i think i was expecting something a little bit more like the first film uh-huh. so i i think it's certainly and we'll talk about this later there's so much in back to the future part two crammed in there as far as plot locations and storylines that i think if you get a bit older you can appreciate all the zaniness that's going on and it makes more certainly. sense with uh, repeated viewings uh, what about you thrasher i i i've always been attra- attracted to darker stories but when I look at Back to the Future 2 and its place in the trilogy, all, all that, that darkness, that's kind of the, the medicine-y taste you need before, so that you can get to the pure sugar rush of awesomeness that is Back to the Future 3. <laughs> <laughs> I would, uh, uh, you can also compare it to the Indiana Jones trilogy. You know yeah. how uh, yeah. uh, Temple of Doom was the dark one, and that was the middle one, you know, so as it were. Oh, definitely. Uh yeah, Back to the Future 2. Um, God, there's so much, it's just hard to imagine where to begin. I guess I'll begin. Recently, I, I took a look at uh, an early draft of Back to the Future 2 screenplay, simply called 2. That was from uh, BTTF.com. 
And um, that's quite an interesting read. Uh, have you uh, read it, Oliver? I have. It's been a while. It's been a while. Uh, but, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, they also, weren't they calling it Paradox at the time when it actually started uh, production? I, I think so, yeah. And certainly that title would, would make sense. And for those that haven't read the uh, the early draft script, uh, simply called Two, uh, Back to the Future Two by Bob Gale, it you know the first two thirds of the picture are, are fairly similar for the most part, and then the climax instead of sort of shadowing events from the original movie instead of going to uh, fifty five, I think they go to uh, sixty five or something like that. They go to the sixties, and uh, yeah. Marty has to ensure that he is conceived that his parents meet up at this uh, getaway in San Francisco to be conceived. So, um, and uh, in some ways, I, I wish that's what was done in the actual movie, but it's nice to sort of read a different take, even though that's not what got made. Um, Certainly. Uh, they were, it had, kinda, have, uh, had, had a hippie uh, flavor to it. I, I remember speaking to Bob about it. He said, had they ever known that uh, they were going to continue the, the movie and do a part two and a part three, they would have never put... Uh, the girlfriend in the car mm. because that, oh, yeah. that really caused some uh, some challenges for them to write the uh, the following stories. Well, they just make her unconscious or pass out. Yeah, any major <laughs> scene. Get rid of her. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I mean, really, it was a character that wasn't that big of a part in the first one. You had certainly the mother was a pretty central character, but not not the girlfriend uh, necessarily. Um, Certainly. So, Back to the Future Part 2, it's, it, it's pretty crazy in the beginning. They sort of refilm the entire uh, ending to, uh, or climax to the original Back to the Future. Yeah, it doesn't just pick off where it lefts off. It picks no. up about five minutes before where it left off. Now, do you know, did they have to do that simply because they couldn't get Jennifer Grey to do the part of the girlfriend again? Is that why they had to refilm well, it? Or Well, let me, let me correct you in saying the character's name is Jennifer Parker. I'm sorry. And the, the actress, actress yeah. who played Jennifer, as her name is Claudia Wells. Whoops. Okay. So I don't know where I'm getting Jennifer Grey from then. I don't it's know. It's on the Pretty Dancing or something. It could be. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Well, but it's a different actress. Uh, right. Elizabeth Shue. Elizabeth, Elizabeth Shue. Uh, yeah. Uh, Claudia, uh, Claudia and I are, are, have become good friends over the years and uh, had plenty of time to talk, and she's a wonderful, uh, incredible lady. Uh, and as she's, I'm sure, discussed in many uh, interviews and such, uh, a lot of people ask her, you know, why she didn't reprise her character in the, the other two films. And it was a very difficult time for her uh, during that period, and uh uh, her mother was very ill, and uh, she it just kind of had to make uh, some choices in her life, and, and uh, uh, that you know that was a difficult choice she had to make. Although you can uh, hear uh, Claudia Wells sort of reprise a version of that part in the recent Back to the Future uh, computer game. Oh, that's true. That's right. She, she uh, which was a wonderful opportunity for her. Kind of gave her a, a second chance to do something fun, and uh, I'm sure it was appreciated by a lot of all the fans too who. Uh, uh, wanted to to see her do that again. Yeah, I haven't got to that far in that uh, computer game yet, but there's a, I, th- I believe it's in the third episode of the five episode parts of the game. She plays sort of an alternate '80s take on that uh, character. So <laughs> yeah. Um. So I mean, you get so much into the future in this movie where they go from present day into the future. Where we, we're going, we don't need roads. Such a classic line. And yet, I'm a bit disappointed rewatching it in the opening credits. 
you know, you see the car go off and then traveling through time, all you see is stock footage of a bunch of clouds. Yeah, true. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, there, there wasn't a whole lot of effort put into that uh, opening montage. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, they maybe just... Uh, I mean, this was a very a to breathe. yeah. This was a very expensive movie at the time. I'm sure. Well, another thing very to consider uh, with with like the opening scenes of the clouds. Let Let's assume that like the car had traveled through time, uh, and they had had a more impressive visual of of the, the like like with like future cities and flying cars. All those amazing visuals would be blocked by credits. True. True. Uh, and it would be distracted by, you know, your your attention would be split between the two. Yeah. And it's not like it's ten minutes of clouds. We're not talking about the opening credits to Superman here. But <laughs> it uh, it does its jobs. It gets you into the future. And, uh, you know, it's it's funny. Like, right as of the time of this recording, it's uh, 2011. And the future parts in this movie takes place in 2015. And, uh... It makes me think of a joke that the comedian Chris Rock had, or in the year 2000, it's not like the Jetsons, it's more like the Jeffersons. People still <laughs> drive their cars around, you know, things aren't so different in some ways, but in other ways they are. Certainly right. with the iPods, iPads, all those things. Right. I'm, I'm just amazed talking about how things have changed and, and uh, how much of it actually came true, you know, what their hits and misses. Uh, the comedian L three D movies, yeah, oh my gosh! You know what, what's everything that's old is new again, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but uh, the binoculars that Doc uses, where uh, he's looking through his, his special futuristic binoculars, and uh, there's a little square that targets in on uh, you know people's faces uh, that walk into frame. I thought, oh my gosh, my my digital camera does that now. Sure. Um, and, you know, pictures on Facebook, you know, you, you take a picture of uh, a group of people, and all of a sudden they all have squares, you know, it, it's uh, facial recognition stuff. And, and I was like, wow, Bob and Bob uh, imagined this, you know, back in the 80s, and it's it's true. <laughs> and also there's a baseball team in Florida now, which wasn't the case at the time, but they <laughs> yeah. predicted that in the movie. Yeah, I think they're, they're like our modern-day... Uh, Jules Verne uh, characters, <laughs> where they're you know creating these magnificent worlds and and machines and contraptions and ideas, and, and uh, you know years later it, it comes comes to fruition, actually comes true. And all, of all the things you can say about Back to the Future Two, lack of ambition is not one of them. True, that's true. They certainly go Absolutely. for it for setting all sorts of gadgets in the future and the alternate eighties and redoing the fifties part, like in the first film. They. Uh, have a lot of detail in there. And uh, there's even a... It's funny, watching this again, I noticed a young Elijah Wood plays one of the kids in the art in the uh, Cafe 80s restaurant yep. playing the arcade game. Yep, yep. Uh, that, the Cafe 80s is a, a wonderful uh, wonderful scene, you know, with a lot of neat props and things. The Pepsi Perfect uh, bottles have become a really hot item on eBay now, replicas of that. Oh, yeah? Did they ever sell Absolutely. Pepsi Perfect at the time the movie came out to tie in? I don't. Is, is that an actual product now? Is, no, is no, I, no. Pepsi I don't think Perfect? it is. I, I recall, no. you know, in the '90s they did Pepsi Clear or something. Crystal Pepsi. That, that's right, Crystal Pepsi. But it just looks like uh, something they could have done as a tie-in product. But I guess he didn't have quite as much of that back then. Everything looks so credible. You know, you, you would uh -huh. think uh, they really had it. Uh, you know, the shoes recently uh, just came out. The Nike shoes, and that oh, yeah. was a, a huge success for the. Uh, 
the Michael J. Fox Foundation for Parkinson's Research. Now, were those shoes, uh, are those only part of a fundraiser, or are they going to sell those to the public in the future? Well, uh, that's always a possibility, but uh, they were very wide. If they do have plans to do a second edition or a special other version, they were very wise to do the fundraiser first, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to, to best benefit the, uh, the foundation. They're wonderful shoes. I think they, they uh, were able to raise over $6 million, wow. which will also be matched. So that's, you know, over 12 maybe $13 million will go to uh, funding uh, research for Parkinson's, which is just an incredible, uh, wonderful thing. Uh, Nike did a really good job uh, pulling that whole campaign off. And they're yep. cool shoes too. They're really neat. <laughs> well, they look good in the movie. Like when I, when I, every time I see this film, I want Marty's future outfit. It just looks great <laughs> to me. Even those weird accordion hinges on the jacket. <laughs> yeah. that's a, that's a, well, I think the shoes were like maybe the number one uh, costume accessory from uh, from the film, and uh, Nike made that happen. Maybe maybe the jacket will come around someday. Maybe. <laughs> I, you know, it, speaking of uh, Michael J. Fox, uh, he does such a great job as the different roles he has to play in this film, where he plays several members of his family in the future. And even just in the beginning, when it's just the Marty McFly, and then uh, his he plays his son, and Marty McFly Jr., even though they're wearing the same outfit, there's differences in posture and the ways they talk. It's pretty subtle. Oh, yeah. Where you can tell what's going on between the two characters. Very much so. Then I think he later plays his daughter. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> really, That's really a life speaking image. <laughs> he plays Marlene McFly, right? And then he plays the elderly yeah. Marty McFly as well. And, uh, exactly. I think it's nice that the makeup is pretty, and the performances, frankly, in those parts are pretty subtle and it really contrasts with uh, Thomas F. Wilson as the various incarnations of Biff which, by its nature, is sort of a, a cartoony, over-the-top character. Well, you want your bad guy to be really bad. Oh, you know, yeah. You don't want there yeah. to be any... any uh, don't make any mistakes that uh, you know, he means trouble. So. Yeah, if he had a mustache, he'd be twirling it. Well, he does have a mustache in the third one, but... Uh... <laughs> oh, he gets there. Yeah, he yeah. gets there. <laughs> so is there any scenes from the future section of the film that really stand out? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, the well, that's a good question. Um, of course, the the devastated Hill Valley. You know what? What yeah. one of the billboards uh, is remarked as, as Hell Valley. Uh, that's that's about as dark as it gets. You know, you you realize, <laughs> you remember this idyllic fifties uh, you know town with it's just beautiful, and that's just as far in the opposite direction as you can go, uh, thanks to to Biff Tannen. That's that's. Uh, kind of an image that uh, makes an impression. Definitely. I mean, as a kid watching this, I was really captured by the hoverboard sequence. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's watching the documentaries, they point out how at the time, Mattel got so many phone calls asking, what are these hoverboards going to come out for sale? Well, do you, did you guys, because um, I, I, was, I was pretty young when this movie came out, but I remember when it came out, I knew, th- I knew three of my friends insisted and swore up and down that hoverboards were real all because of that <laughs> one interview where Zemeckis kind of flippantly said oh no yeah those are real and and, and, and like I, I was just I wanted to I didn't want to spoil everybody's fun but I was like they're not real if, if that <laughs> technology was real 
the, a toy would be like the fifth thing it would be in. <laughs> well, it would certainly be uh, highly guarded uh, and uh, controlled, for sure, uh, in the beginning. But, uh, uh, yeah, I think the hoverboard uh, is probably one of the most iconic props uh, from the, the second film. Uh, and uh, it sure comes in handy in the third one, too. But that's that's next week, right? Yep, that's next week. Uh I also really like speaking of all the the gadgets in the future. Some of the stuff they have at uh, Marty McF- at the elder Marty McFly's home, where instead mm-hmm. of like a microwave, you have a hydrator, where it's a miniature pizza pizza, and you put it black, in black black and Decker hydrator. Yeah, uh, just, yeah. Uh, you said you you kids were having a pizza party when you watched we were, part yeah. two. Uh, <laughs> I bet you wished you had a hydrator. Huh. We did. It took a very long time. Even we all made individual pan pizzas in these tiny little uh, pizza trays, and it took a very long time. I was all excited. I never made a pizza, and you're just use you're not making homemade dough, which is dough from the Pillsbury can. And like, oh, I can't wait to have a pizza, and you have to wait, you know, half an hour, maybe longer, for your thing to get cooked. Right, right. So I think that was probably my first experience cooking something, really, as it were. Oh, cool. So yeah, cool. tied in with Back to the Future. Uh, well, I also like that that like that little garden in the middle of the kitchen. That yeah. that's a piece of technology I really think we should have. I kind of a hydroponics, wasn't it? A little bit, yeah. yeah. They come down from the ceiling and they can pick off. I think he was eating fresh grapes off of there. Yep, yep. Uh, that was uh, another scene, uh, one of the major scenes that uh, Jeffrey Weisman uh, played in. Uh, he he uh, took over the role of. Uh, the uh, George McFly character, and uh, I believe he spent much of his time in the kitchen scene upside down. Oh yeah, in a, in a traction the spine uh, gadget of some sort, something that's supposed to help his uh, his back recover from a, a golf incident. <laughs> right, and um, part of the reason for that is to make him less recognizable because they weren't able to get Crispin Glover uh, in the sequel, sadly. And uh, and there was even a, a lawsuit about that between Crispin Glover and um, Steven Spielberg and the production company for Back to the Future about that. They had someone use, like, sort of his likeness. And do they actually use clips of Crispin Glover in the 50s part of the movie? That's, that's correct. Yeah, that yeah. Was, uh, set, some, a set of precedents, I think, uh, with the Actors Guild or, or something uh, uh, about, you know, how they use... Uh, an actor's image and all but uh, you know it all worked out in the end I think everybody kind of got what they wanted and uh, a fine movie you know was produced and uh, um, oh I think so and they do a good job of keeping the character of George McFly to a minimum so you don't notice as much as you could have true true well you know his character isn't really emphasized in in the uh, the storyline so uh, you know they keep keep him alive and he has a presence there which is good Yep. So, uh, God, there's so much in this movie. I'm just trying to think where else to go. Well, you know, like when, when <laughs> Marty, when Marty's uh, son comes home, and like yeah. that this, this big screen, they have this big flat screen TV, and he goes in and it's voice activated. He starts listing all the channels he wants to see. Have you ever gone through there and just looked at what's on those channels? You know, one of them. Noticing watching it this time for the sequel cast. Uh, I noticed one of them was something called like the tit light or something. Yeah, it's like this or... breast implant thing. That's of course that's the one I always saw. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, then again, like now TVs have the picture in picture feature, which I don't think they had at the time this movie was released. 
So that's something sort of similar. I don't know if people watch more than one thing at once, but certainly on a computer with a, you know, with the Windows or on a Macintosh, you can have lots of different Windows playing video all simultaneously if you so desire. The uh, the thing that's the most interesting to me is the first movie. They were so restricted uh, budget wise. You know, nobody knew it would be the hit that it was, and mm. and they had to really uh, pull in, rein in some of their their ideas and their creativity and make it work and make it fit within budget. Uh, with the second film, uh, I think they had pretty much whatever they asked for. Uh, you know, Bob may uh, may argue, uh, but uh, they, they had a much larger budget. He, he would agree with that. Oh, you can see um, everything on the screen. Sure, and I think between, you know, this film and the film Bob Zemeckis did before this, uh, the, the wonderful uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, is sort of a, a shift in a way in uh, Bob Zemeckis' career where he focuses a lot on technology or has technology really involved in his filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And that's something he continues to do today with a lot of the uh, motion picture, CG, um, animated movies he's done. And I believe his latest film is going to be a return to live action uh, with Denzel I would, I Washington. Would yeah, it's supposed yeah, to be something with, with Denzel Washington where he plays an airline pilot. Um, I, I can't recall the title of it right now, but... It's supposed to be his next project. But yeah, so you can certainly see the technology at the time. You have um, a lot of different actors playing the same part in the same scene, and more importantly, the camera's moving around, which is a big Right. With a a bigger budget, I guess you're given a little bit more freedom as to, you know, kind of the risks you can take and and, uh, the the time you can, you know, spend on certain scenes, and and certainly the the design and the budget and and, uh, the design and the props and things like that. Uh, as well, I think that's why so many great props came out of the second film. Uh, the the matchbooks, you know, the Biff's uh, Pleasure Paradise uh, matchbooks oh, yeah. and things like yeah. that. Um, just every little detail. All the, the it, it's as if they spared no expense. Uh, you know, printing all kinds of custom little things uh, from the future and, and the Biff's casino and um, a lot of detail went into that. Yep. And uh, well, speaking of details, you know what I always loved was that the police officers had those LED bands <laughs> on their hats that would yeah. just out whatever they said. That actually sounds like some really useful technology to have. Absolutely. To have Absolutely. your own closed caption. The, uh, the designers were, you know, are visionaries, and the, uh, the, the designs of the future vehicles, the motorcycles, the, uh, yeah, everything. Uh, so many of the little props, docks, uh, Oh, what do you call the thing that he uh, uses to erase Jennifer's memory? Um, was this like a neuro stunner or synaptic feedback thing? Something, yeah. The yeah. auto hypno projector. <laughs> <laughs> Which now that uh, I think about that, that has to be restrictive. That has to be restricted technology, or from a more distant future era. I can't imagine you can just go to the drugstore and get a machine that lets you instantly knock people out. <laughs> That sounds very, very dangerous. It will, kind of like a time machine is. You know, yeah, not, not that's everyone true. Can have one of those. I mean, also speaking of knocking characters out, I'm just always greatly amused by after they uh, go to 2015 and prevent Marty McFly's son from getting in jail, they go back to 1985, but little do they know it's an alternate 1985 because the older Biff has stolen the uh, sports almanac that Doc and Marty threw away and taken it to... Um, make his uh, younger self be more successful. And when they get back to the alternate 1985, they decide to leave uh, Jennifer on the uh, 
outside porch, which is where she was when they last left. But it still seems kind of weird they just leave her there, figuring she'd be okay. I don't know. I mean, they well, just wanted... What's weird is that they never think to go back to her <laughs> after they see what a terrible right. place the Ultimate 1985 is. I, I imagine life has moved on, and quite a, quite a few things have changed, you know, uh, in that alternate universe. Uh, uh, but you know, when they drop her off, they probably have the thought of, "Oh, well, we're going to be back in just a second. You know, this is going to be a really quick thing." Uh, that's that's all I can figure. Right. Uh, watching this movie for the first time as a kid, I was scared at, at the scene where Marty McFly returns to his bedroom. You know, this is going <laughs> to go back to sleep. And he wakes up and he sees a whole nother family in there. And the dad comes running in with the shotgun and there's Michael... No, it's a baseball bat. Sorry, with the baseball bat. The shotgun comes uh, with a different character later. With the baseball bat screaming at him. Like, it totally surprises you if you don't know what you're going into. And definitely lets you know this isn't the same 1985. Yeah, and that is a nightmarish scenario, I think, that we can all appreciate. is you know, thinking that you're... uh, retreating to the comfort of your own familiar surroundings, you know, your bedroom, and all of a sudden it's inhabited by strangers. I mean, that's, that yeah. is, that's scary. Yep. Well, I love all the little subtle little hints leading up to it, too, like when he sees that there's a lock on the fence, which has never been there before, and like mm. the extra litter on the street as he's approaching the house. It's really just all these little hints that build up to that shock, and it's still a shock. Absolutely. Yeah, things are, are locked. The gate's locked. You have to climb over and uh, all that. And, uh, and when, I think things are on fire in the distance. Yeah. <laughs> crazy. He has a crazy encounter with uh, Mr. Strickland, played by James Tolkien. Where Oh, yeah, the, uh, the uh, principal from the old school. Where these sort of these punks in a car are driving past. It almost looks like something out of Mad Max where they're shooting at him with guns and they have to duck for cover. And I think he's wearing a bulletproof vest. He is, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Uh, And um, you were mentioning the uh, sort of Biff's Casino and what a wonderful set that is. And watching this again, I noticed for, uh, I think the first time, there's a little instructional video about what Biff did to become rich. And in it, for a split second, they sort of set up that there was a uh, Wild West uh, ancestor of Biff. Buford, Mad, Buford Dog, Mad Dog Tannen, who become is a big character in the third film, but it's yeah. nice they set that up in the second one. And two and three were more or less shot back to back. I think there was a little bit of break in filming between the two, but well, pretty actually, close. If I could 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 jump in on that, sure. Because uh, as I mentioned in the pre-record, uh, I had the pleasure of meeting Leah Thompson at Scarefest this past Sunday, and she was she was more than happy to, to talk a bit about Back to the Future. and had a couple of comments. And uh, what she told me was that Back to the Future 2 and 3 were actually written as one movie, but Zemeckis, the screenwriter, kind of got so into it and kept adding so much stuff in the screenplay that they kind of had to split it. They would have ended up with like one four-hour movie. They had to split it into two movies. And so that's why there's it's so tightly woven that there's so many things set up in part two that pay off in part three, because part two was just supposed to be act one, and part three was supposed to be act three. That's, that's true, and I think they were innovators in that kind of concept, that kind of movie making. You know, nowadays, uh, you know, a lot of filmmakers will do that. Uh, I'm sure some of the Harry Potter films and, and all uh, were filmed back-to-back, you know, and uh, 
uh, released separately. But uh, Bob and Bob were on the cutting edge uh, when they when they planned it that way. Yeah, I mean the most recent example I can think of, like with the Lord of the Rings movies, they sort of did those all back to back to right. get those to come out one year after the other, after the other. But um, oh, but you mentioned you mentioned that documentary that's playing at the Biff Tannen Casino about yes. how, or the Biff Tannen at the museum, the Biff Tannen Museum at the casino. Um, you can find it. You can find it on YouTube, uh, and I was. I believe it's on the Blu-ray edition of the Back to the Future trilogy, but they actually made that full documentary. You can watch the whole thing, and it looks like one of those perfect cheesy huh. videos you used you used to see at, at museums when when TV screens were first being put everywhere. It, it looks great. It's well produced, and just another example of how uh, you know what what the difference a, a bigger budget can make in a film. Sure. Um, and, you know, I, in particular in, in these sequences with the sort of Donald Trump-looking version of Biff, Thomas F. Wilson is just so terrifying. I mean, I think this is some of the darkest material in the movie right here, where Marty sees that his mother is married to Biff. She's an alcoholic, uh, floozy kind of. And, you know, Biff is very abusive and very mean and feels truly, truly threatening. It's it's not hard to believe that he killed Marty's father in this time. <laughs> when the more you see him act, right? He's a he's a bad bad uh, guy. That, that character is is a, a rough one. And it's nice how uh, Marty McFly goes to the to the graveyard and sees his his father's uh, grave, and Doc Brown happens to be waiting almost right behind him. Oh, it's so creepy. <laughs> I, I sometimes I wish that uh, they they could have figured out a way to get the uh, the casino Biff uh, to somehow fall into a pile of manure. Uh, to, to that would have been that would have been nice. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be the one thing that was missing. Because <laughs> I mean, that is a heavy, heavy part. Definitely, and so comedy would have been nice to take a little bit of the edge off. Uh, I mean, speaking of the graveyard scene, one thing I thought that was nice in the earlier draft of Back to the Future 2 I read is uh, there's a scene where, where Marty's in the alternate 80s and he's asking this bartender, oh, have you heard of George McFly? Where is he? And the bartender laughs and says, like, oh, he's at 600 Main Street. And uh, Marty goes to 600 Main Street and it happens to be the address for the cemetery. Hmm. Oh, so I, I think it's much more effective joke. that we get to see the headstone. Yeah, no, it is. But... That's sort of a different take on that same scene. Uh, so, I mean, watching this movie as a kid, I didn't even understand what an almanac was. But, <laughs> I, I did, but I was yeah. a weird kid. I, oh, okay. I used to read Leonard Maltin's movie review book. Oh, okay. <laughs> like oh. the whole thing. <laughs> That's another prop, you know, another example of a prop that uh, a lot of fans, you know, kind of covet and, uh, and reproduce for themselves. Uh, a lot of the fans will download the artwork and, um, you know, build themselves a, a sports almanac book. Well, that almanac was only to the year 2000, wasn't it? I believe so. It went through the year 2000. So you could actually make it with the correct statistics and everything. <laughs> That's true. Absolutely. That sounds like a fun fan project. <laughs> 
so back to uh, Back to the Future Two. There is a sort of alternate eighties segment. Yep, you literally have the scene where uh, Doc Brown breaks out a chalkboard and explains to Marty what's happening with the alternate timelines, which uh, I, I think can be very useful because it's potentially pretty confusing. I was recently at a, uh, a toy store where they had a remote control DeLorean Back to the Future car, and on the back they had a huge diagram showing all the different timelines throughout the three films. Oh, yeah. That sounds like a, a cool toy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I did not purchase the toy. I think it was maybe around 50 to to $100, but uh, it was a remote control car, but I think pretty decent size. might have been 12 inches in length. Um. So, but I, I can see why some people might get annoyed by the scene when they break out the chalkboard, but the movie moves at such a manic pace, it's nice for them to sit down and kind of explain and lets you catch your breath. Well, that's kind of Doc's character's, you know, role as well. It's to take you by the hand and kind of uh, lead you through the, the process and, and, you know, help make it all plausible, explain to you, you know, what happens when you do this and, and uh, the results and... and uh, you know, he's, he's kind of like the... He, he, he has the heavy lifting to do in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Although one thing about that scene, though, where he's like, you know, this often the timeline where your father is dead, Biff is married to your mother, and this <laughs> happens to me! And he holds up the newspaper clipping where it's like front page headline, Doc Brown committed. I kind of want to know what he's committed for. <laughs> I really can't ima- I can't imagine a series of events in a Biff-run Hill Valley that could actually drive Doc Brown to the breaking point. Well, somebody pays off the officials to uh, uh, commit him, you know. Uh, well, th- Biff, that Biff could have been, yeah. except that, like, I, that Biff... Because Biff does talk about how when he was visited by himself from the future, he was warned that a kid or an old man claimed to be a scientist might ask about the book. And I guess we could assume that... that well, I guess we can't assume, because Doc Brown from the 1950s doesn't know anything about the sports almanac, so he can never come to Biff to ask him about it. Or do, or, or is does Biff have, like, a vendetta against scientists? Anytime he sees an old man who's a scientist, <laughs> he just tries to destroy him in case he's going to turn out to be that old man. All good questions. Yeah. So back to, uh, in the movie, they go back to 1955, and it's yeah, they quite, have to uh, to get to stop to stop a Biff from keeping the sports almanac. And this is the part of the movie I think that I have the most trouble with is that it feels like it's coasting on kind of the good vibes of the original. And although it's it's clever seeing them do these things while simultaneously other events are happening, I I don't know. I think I would have rather seen them do a different time period, but I can see why they didn't. It would certainly add more to the budget if they went to a different time period. And there's a nice sense of familiarity for people that saw the first film. I mean, I can't imagine watching Back to the Future 2 if you never saw the first one. I think that'd be really confusing. Possibly. Uh, you know, you, you get uh, a lot of the the juicy you know scenery and, and the fun things going on uh in the second that you, you did the first, but you're not in on the joke, you know, if you haven't seen the first one. Um, but uh, I, I think, you know, people like to see the familiar uh, yeah. and uh, say, oh, oh, look, you know, this is uh, where this happened. And sure enough, you know, in the background, you see uh, something that was a major uh, 
plots uh, seen uh, happen, uh, but you see it from a different perspective, a different angle. Uh, I think it's pretty exciting. Yeah, like, like the first one, the second film does pay off with repeat viewings, and when you combine the first and the second one, that just gets compounded once the, the, once the parallel Marty story in, 19, in 1955 kicks off. <clears throat> Yeah, Bob, Bob Gale talks about that a lot, uh, and I don't know if there's any movie that uh, sets up and, and pays off gags uh, more than the, the Back to the Future trilogy, but uh, well, that... you, know, you just do set up, set up, and then, and then you're guaranteed a fantastic payoff if you're, you know, half paying attention. Well, and I think in here between the different movies, the setup and payoffs between the different time periods and the different interpretations of the time periods all make sense, Uh, unlike something like the Saw series, in which so far there's seven films, where they do try and say, oh, this character was in this scene too, and the more they try to make everything tie together, the more convoluted it becomes. (laughs) Well, that was something that, uh, that Leah Thompson had mentioned when I spoke with her, that she loved about the script for the for all the movies, but especially the first one, is that she could set up a joke, and then 45 minutes later, that's when the joke gets paid off with its punchline. Like, oh, my brother's in jail. Then 45 minutes later, get used to those bars, kid. Mm, and then exactly. with two and three, you, you have things that, that are set up that get paid off one movie down the line. <laughs> that's true. It just it rewards you so much for paying attention. Exactly, exactly. You're it's, it's uh, you're they reward you so much for just being a, a fan of the film and a, a participant. You know, watching it. it. It's a film that you don't watch. You you have you have to read this film. <laughs> but it draws you in. It's not you know it's it's like uh, it's not like work because. Uh, you know, it's, it's uh, so enjoyable. Absolutely. I mean, it's uh, it's really interesting that even though the, the parts in the 50s, some of it is the same stuff that goes on in the first film, they do enough different stuff with it, too. And there's <coughs> suspense, like uh, when Michael, or when Marty McFly hides in the back of the car when young Biff is driving, and doesn't seem to notice that uh, Marty McFly is speaking in a walkie-talkie in the dock <laughs> the whole time. Well, that's because it's a close-up. Well, and he also has the music turned up pretty loud, too. That's another <laughs> thing on there. He's, he's, got the, he's got the wind blowing through his hair, too. So, yes. Uh, maybe right. he doesn't hear it. This isn't totally related to the movie, but uh, last year was the, the 25th anniversary of the first film. Uh, and they had uh, a guy named Ken Kapalowski... Uh, orchestrated a, a one-week-long celebration out in uh, California, and uh, the finale, the, the grand finale of the whole thing, was an Enchantment Under the Sea dance. Oh. And uh, they recreated the entire scene at the location that it was originally filmed at, uh, in the gymnasium. They decorated the place top to bottom. Uh, it wow. was amazing. It was it was truly amazing. Every, everyone that had tickets, uh, you know, they had a live band. Uh, the gentleman that, that played, um, oh, I'm forgetting his name now. The the singer uh, of uh, Mar- Marvin Marvin Berry. Uh, he, he was there. He actually sang uh, Earth Angel live while all the the attendees, you know, danced. 
so many people were dressed in their you know finest fifties outfits, which was really cool. And you looked around, and you know people are in bow, bow ties and and uh, uh, dresses, and uh, it, it's like you were in the in the movie. So where was that exactly? That they had the twenty fifth anniversary. Well, it was all over uh, you know the Hollywood area uh, at, at various filming locations, um, and this particular. Um, location for the Enchantment of the Sea Dance uh, was a church, um, and I can't think of the name, but I've got it in my notes, but uh, it's, a, it's like a gymnasium at a church right there in downtown Hollywood on, on the corner, uh, uh, it's just down the street from the Magic Castle, and uh, they rented out the gymnasium, they decorated it, uh, and, he, and uh, A.J. Uh, Lasko, uh, the person who does the vocal um, work for the uh, video game that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, he does uh, the Marty McFly voice. He actually performed uh, the scene. Um, <laughs> uh, the Johnny, Johnny Good. Good. Oh, it, wow! It was incredible. It was incredible. He brought the house down. Uh, again, it's you know it was almost uh, like a a strange fantasy uh, coming unfolding right before your very eyes with everybody participating. And, and, uh, it was like you were, you were in the movie. It was amazing. At one point, Bob Gale was there, several of those celebrities and the creators of the film, Bob Gale was there. And, uh, uh, one point my wife, Terry, um, grabbed his arm and, uh, spun him around on the dance floor. They, you know, danced a little bit. And, uh, <laughs> she whispered in his ear, she said, you know, this is all your fault. <laughs> <laughs> Which was uh, I thought was pretty funny, but it was quite a night, quite a night. Not hopefully, uh, there, I think there are plans to do a 2015. Um, well, uh, the anniversary of Part Two, the movie we're talking about tonight. Uh, I think Ken Kaplowski had some plans to uh, do another big, big celebration. So keep your ears to the uh, tuned to the the internet. They'll recreate the recreation of the Enchantment Under the Sea Dance and then have another Enchantment Under the Sea Dance of time travelers that have to go through the recreation of the original Enchantment Under the Sea Dance. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the dance was so much fun. uh, That right there gives him license to do it again because I'm sure everybody (laughs) would love to do it all over again. But then it will create an alternate Back to the Future (laughs) 2. So when uh, Back to the Future 2 ended in theaters, didn't it have like a teaser for the third film at the very end? I, I believe it did. It, it said to to be, not uh, not mm-hmm. continued, to, but um, to, to be, be concluded. concluded. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Right. Because they leave you hanging, you know. They, they, you know you're, there's going to be a, a third film, and I think that's what they wanted. They wanted to... to button up the story nice and neat and uh, uh, you know finish with the bang which is what they did so Oliver being that you're the only one of us that actually got to see this film in a theater can you recall the audience reaction at all when the clips from the third film came up or oh golly that's a good question I cannot okay <laughs> and that's because I am just so old I guess <laughs> oh no it's been <laughs> several years I just was wondering I don't. I can tell you, you know, audience reactions, uh, like recently, when I've seen outdoor shows. Uh-huh. Uh, last year, we saw an outdoor showing of uh, Part 2, uh, and it was wonderful. It was out in L.A., a huge field and a huge outdoor screen uh, constructed just for this showing. And uh, 
when uh, certain parts, you know, happen, the, the audience just cheers and, and laughs and claps. And uh, it, it was so cool to uh, experience it again, you know, kind of kind of experience it uh, as I did back in the 80s, um, you know, with a live audience on a big screen. And uh, uh, that, that, that passion and the, the excitement is still there with, with people. That's pretty cool. I've uh, yeah, no, I'd love to see one of the Back to the Future movies if it ever plays in theaters again. But um, right by my house, I have a theater that once a month does sort of an older movie as a midnight movie. And uh, I, recently, they did a, a Robert Zemeckis film, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, in fact, yeah, um, in the theater. And uh, I didn't get a chance to see that one, but they've done they've done things like Star Trek Two: Wrath of Khan, which had a line going out the door with people dressed up in Star Trek outfits, even though they never told people to dress up in Star Trek outfits. Uh, <laughs> they <laughs> they don't, don't tell people. <laughs> no, no, they just show up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, uh, yeah, uh, you know, if you're listening, re-release the trilogy in theaters. That'd be nice. Absolutely. Just, just Absolutely. re-release it. No 3D. Well, you know, I, 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 uh, I would wouldn't even mind 3D. I just saw a movie a couple of days ago in 3D. What was it? What was it? Um, uh, oh gosh, it obviously didn't make much of an impression on me. But uh, it was it was fun, and and I don't think that the 3D would detract from the movie at all. And if it gave a new generation uh, one more chance to see the movie on the big screen and right. have a big you know re-release, I'm all for it. Um, Bob Gale is against it. Uh, but I just think it would, uh, you know, give fans another chance to see it. I don't think it would, you know, hurt the film or corrupt it in any way in anybody's memory. Um, unlike, I don't, you know, the recent murmurings about what George Lucas has done to his, his Star Wars movies by, you know, going in and, and really tinkering with it and exchanging things right. and adding characters and stuff. But uh, uh, I just think it gives you another opportunity to see the film. And, and you got to admit, you know, Back to the Future 3, there's some awesome things that would look kind of cool in 3D that would work, oh, yeah. you know. And and unlike movies that are specifically made to be 3D, it's not full of gimmicks that, you know, pander to that, you know, poking, poking the audience in the eye constantly. No, but I, that's just my opinion. No, I'm just thinking the hoverboard sort of chase scene could be fun in 3D. And uh, I definitely like 3D when it's done well. But, I think you know, I think the last thing I saw in the theater that was 3D... For my birthday with my friends, for some reason, I saw the Nicolas Cage movie Drive Angry 3D. And um, <laughs> that, that was a real sleazy kind of, uh, I don't know what you call yeah. it, a, a real sleazy sort of action movie, I guess. But it was the, the use of 3D was so slight, in most scenes you couldn't even notice it. I noticed it in one scene that took place on a highway where you get a little bit of depth of field. And... Uh, but, you know, it's also done well in things like Avatar, I thought, used 3D well. And, frankly, Jackass 3D, I think, used 3D pretty well in some scenes. Well, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. The hoverboarding scenes and the flying scene. You know, the car yeah. flies throughout much oh, of sure. part two. Um, I'm even thinking about Marty climbing across the uh, the catwalk uh, at the fish under the oh, sea. Oh, yeah. Dance, you know, oh, right. looking, looking down on the stage. It'd be fun. And, uh, you know, just... Just to add a little bit of depth and dimension to what you're seeing, uh, you know, can't be a bad thing. Um, if it's done well, if it doesn't, like, irritate your eyes and, and it's, it's done properly, I think it'd be a lot of fun. Definitely. Well, uh, do you have any closing thoughts, Oliver, on Back to the Future 2? 
Oh, golly. Uh, I think I'm, you know, with, with you guys. Go ahead and re-release all three of them. Uh, last yeah. year, for the 25th anniversary, it wasn't really a re-release. It was a special showing at AMC Theaters for just a day or two. It was very limited. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, re-release uh, all three of them. And uh, because the, the popularity, the, the, the value, uh, the entertainment value is still there, and a lot of people would love to see it again on the big screen. Sure. Uh Thrasher? I there there is there is so much to talk about in this movie. Honestly, I think we could we probably could have done a three part episode on just Back to the Future too. One for <laughs> one for twenty a part for twenty fifteen, a part Yeesh. for alternate nineteen eighty five, and a part for nineteen fifty five. It's just such a packed movie. I, I love that you come through the darkness and come out to that great um, that that great uh, that, that that great kind of you think it's going to be a downer ending because you think Doc blew up when lightning struck the time machine, stranding Marty in the past. But then Joe Flaherty comes out delivering a Western Union telegram and 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 like which which gives you that hope and lets you know that there's going to get be one more movie. I don't know. It's it's I I, I cannot. Uh, I cannot imagine a world in which we do not have Back to the Future 2. I don't want to live in a world where we don't have Back to the Future 2. I don't want to live in that alternate timeline. <laughs> and that, that helps us get to part three. So, you know, it was uh, certainly necessary uh, with the story arc. Um, I'd like to add, if, if there's just another moment. Oh, uh, sure. Just for more content, people want to do you know more research, find out uh, what cast and crew people are doing uh, today. Where are they now? Uh, I'd like to just invite them to visit bttf.com uh, and uh, you know check out the website, uh, participate in the the chat lines and things. Also, they got a ton of merchandise on there. Uh, really cool store with uh, anything and everything that is related to the trilogy. And if you want to know anything more about the DeLorean Time Machine, uh, you can go to uh, DeLoreanTimeMachine.com. There's a link on the the BTTF main page. Um, and for our charitable work. You can go to tothefuture.org. Cool. Great. Yeah, no, uh, Back to the Future 2, uh, I, I think it's a really, it's a film that benefits from multiple viewings, as we've said. And uh, I'll admit it's a strange film. You know, it's not what you would think of a typical sequel to a, a hit movie. But uh, it does a lot of things right, and I think um, the more you watch it, the more I, I get a bigger appreciation for it. So uh, you can also go to the website uh, sequelcast.com to check out past episodes if you go to facebook and look up sequelcast we got a uh, page on there too so oh, also check out our tumblr we'll be we'll be adding a no uh, we won't be adding to the tumblr i'm gonna oh, shut the won't? tumblr down yeah oh well but i'll put well, it on the facebook page at some point you will be seeing an autograph uh, an auto leah thompson autograph made out to the sequel cast uh, she was nice enough to sign for us. Uh, so that will be added somewhere on the internet at some time. <laughs> Very good. Great. Well, uh, thank you so much uh, for coming on for this uh, show, Oliver. And we'll see you uh, you be able to come on next week for the Back to the Future 3 show. Well, looking forward to it, Matt. Uh, yeah, Great. I've got a, a fun little uh, anecdote to tell you about Part 3. Excellent. Enjoy. Okay. We'll send you an email when the show comes up online. So. All right. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Great. Thrasher. You're Appreciate welcome. It. Glad to have you. Good night. Have a good night. Yep. Good night.